during the years of my pastoral ministry, I've held a lot of babies. Um, none were more precious to me than my own two babies. But every time I hold the baby of another couple, I treat those babies with the same love and care and level of attention that I did my own two sons. Why? Because I understand that the parents of this child I am holding loves their baby every bit as much as I loved my babies. I can hardly think of any legal thing I wouldn't do for my children. All of this because I love them. You know the most recited verse in the Bible is probably John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. We catch from this that God loves each of us as much as he loves his own son. It is important to always remember how much God loves me, but also important to remember that he loves everyone else just as much as he loves me. The love God has for all of his children is what makes this next verse from 2 Corinthians 5 so significant. 2 Corinthians 5. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old has gone, the new is here. All this is from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors. As though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf. Be reconciled to God. What Paul is saying is simply this. God loves his children more than he can express. God wants to be reconciled to all of his children. God wants to forgive his children, embrace his children, welcome his children home. But as we all know, the relationship between the kids and God got complicated. We live our lives in a world of people making selfish and sinful choices. And we get mad at God when things don't work out the way we want them to work out. And we get angry when the poor choices of other people impact our lives. And sometimes we're not just sure of what God's intentions are toward us. We forget that God loves us. But one of these days, every so often, God's love shines through and we see a glimpse of it, and then we do a little investigation. Perhaps it was the love of Jesus that caught your attention. Perhaps it was the kindness of a stranger that reminded you of the love of the Father. Perhaps it was the Holy Spirit whispering in your ear and reminding you that you are loved in spite of your circumstances. 
Whatever the pathway, you and I have discovered again the love that God has for us, and we have responded to that love by opening our hearts to the God who loves us. That is exactly what God wants to happen. He wants every one of his children to know his love and feel his embrace. And God has a plan to make that happen. God has a plan to make that happen. And do you know what God's plan is to make this happen? I think God ought to have a better plan. I think he perhaps should have spent an extra day in creation and come up with a better plan at that time before he rested. Maybe just another day would have been enough. But, but no, God had, still has a single, uno, one plan for bringing his children back to him. He has only one plan, one vehicle through which he has decided to work, and you know what it is, right? You know what the one plan is? It's you. You. You are God's plan, his only plan to bring the children he loves back to himself. You heard the words in the passage. Paul wrote, he has committed to you the ministry of reconciliation. I've often wondered how God could be so foolish to trust his kids to us. I mean, doesn't the scripture also say don't cast your pearls before swine? Why would God trust his most cherished possessions to us? Why would he let us hold his babies? He trusts us. You don't know of a mother who would hand their baby to a stranger they didn't trust, do you? No. He, he trusts us. God trusts you. He trusts you to make the appeal on his behalf. You saw that in the passage, right? It was as though God were making his appeal through us. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors as though God were making his appeal through us. How seriously do we take this passage of scripture? How seriously do we take the fact that God has placed his children whom he loves in our hands? I wonder if we believe this enough to do something about it. One of the metaphors I like to use for our shared ministry together is that ministry is a superhighway. I mean, we've all traveled down Route 84 and we're familiar with the on-ramps and the off-ramps. The prophet Isaiah described the highway of holiness in the 35th chapter of Isaiah as he was describing what it be, would be like when the people of God were rescued from exile and delivered into the promised land. This is what Isaiah 35 says. And a highway will be there. It will be called the way of holiness. It will be for those who walk on that way. The unclean will not journey on it. 
Wicked fools will not go on it or about it. No lion will be there or any ravenous beast. They will not be found there, but only the redeemed will walk there, and those the Lord has rescued will return. They will enter Zion with singing. Everlasting joy will crown their heads. Gladness and joy will overtake them, and sorrow and sighing will flee away. Our common life in the kingdom of God is a journey we undertake together. It is comprised of a working life, a home life, and events and observations we share, events like worship services, seasonal celebrations, prayers, small group meetings of various kinds. There's one feature of our common life we can't afford to overlook, and that is we have been given the ministry of reconciliation. We're the ones who make it possible for others to jump into this new life. It's the welcome that we extend. It's the opportunities to participate that we offer. It's the conversations that we have. All of these things create on-ramps to the highway of holiness. I think we have some on-ramps that have been closed for repair for a while that need to be reopened. We don't currently have an active women's or men's fellowship council. We need a few leaders to make these ministries vibrant again so that they can function as on-ramps to the kingdom. The creation of more small discipleship groups would impact the level of spiritual growth for many. Small groups require leaders. The Sunday school hour is a time slot that could be leveraged for small groups or for training for ministry leadership positions. Nursing home ministries have been discussed and plans are forming, but new leaders are needed. These are just a few of the traditional on-ramps that could be reopened so that others can step onto the highway. But we also need creative thinking to find ways to construct new on-ramps because this is the mission we've been given. I believe there's a second part to this ministry of reconciliation. We've been talking on Wednesday nights about the fact that this culture is attempting to squeeze us into its mold every hour of every day. Paul told us in Romans 12, don't let the world squeeze you into its mold. But the world hasn't stopped trying. I mean, think of it. Think of the number of hours each day that the culture has your attention. When you shop for anything, there are advertisements all over the store trying to convince you that you need what they are selling. When you watch television, we're mostly bombarded with commercials. When you drive, signs and billboards compete to catch your attention. Facebook ads trap you with cute quizzes and pictures of kitties and puppies. Your neighbors would like to gossip with you. Your schools, your sports teams, your dance clubs are all telling you you must give maximum time to the activities that they have lined up for your children. Squeeze, squeeze, squeeze. Think about the number of hours a day 
that you are exposed to that. Then multiply that by seven days a week. Surveys tell us that the average U.S. kid spends two hours and 15 minutes every day on screens outside of school time. Add all the rest of the stuff in, and you can see that the culture is squeezing and shaping us, telling us how to think, respond, feel, react, at a rate of at least 25 hours a week minimum. For most folks, it's closer to 60. It impacts the goals our children set and the images they form of what the good life looks like. Counterformation is a great word to describe what our children need. If they are going to be strong enough to resist being squeezed into the mold that this culture of death and violence all around us is using. We must discover ways to counterform our children before it is too late. Sunday school is a great place to start. Worship is vital, but let's face it. Two hours a week of counterformation in the church versus 25 to 60 hours a week of formation by the culture of death and violence we are losing ground. I'm convinced our kids need small group participation to develop as God intended them and that we need additional support if we're going to actually give anybody a leg up onto the highway of holiness. Think of it. We have been given the task of forming these children and we have been given the ministry of reconciliation, the task as serving as ambassadors of Christ. I am very grateful today that I am not the one making the assignments. I'm just handing out the Father's memo. He gave the assignment. He handed to you the ministry of reconciliation. The ability to do this work comes from Christ himself. He is the one who calls us, and he is the one who enables us by his spirit, and he is the one who gives us all we need to carry out his marching orders. And when we come to the table of Christ, we are reminded that it is by his sacrifice for us that he demonstrates the depth of his love for us, for all of us. And because by his death, he's invited us into the family business, the family business which is to make sure everyone on the planet knows they are loved by him and welcome. When we receive the sacrament, we rejoice because we hear the voice of Jesus whispering in our ear, I love you. Would those who will assist me in serving the sacrament come at this time? The communion meal is for all those who would desire to receive Christ, to live as his disciples. In a moment, I'm going to invite you to stand, leave by the side, exterior edge of the pews, and cycle through the center. Uh, Receive the communion, take the bread, dip it into the juice and eat it immediately and then return to your seats. You're welcome to come.
on the night that our Lord was betrayed, he took bread, and when he had broken it, he said, this is my body, which is given for you. As often as you do this, do this in remembrance of me. After dinner, he took the cup of salvation, and he said, in this cup, there's a new covenant in my blood, my blood which is shed for you. We're invited to drink the cup with, sal- with joy because we know it is the cup of salvation, that in it we have eternal life. And so this morning I invite you to take the bread, take the juice, and celebrate the fact that you are loved by Jesus. Lord, bless these elements to your purpose that we might be enabled by your sacrifice for us to embrace the ministry of reconciliation you assigned to us. We come now with open hearts, grateful for all that you did for us. We pray this in your name. Amen. Would you stand and come and receive the table of the Lord? May you luxuriate in the knowledge of the love of Christ every day that you live. And may you live each day to his glory. Amen. Go in peace.